Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, as we jump back into our series tonight of 1 Samuel chapter 17, going back to the valley of Elah, and we see that the tension is now building between brothers. Uh, we see the tension is building between David and Saul and um, all the soldiers and all the unknown of what was happening. Uh, but while we were there, remember, uh, David gets called into Saul's tent here in our text tonight after he has kind of given his, uh, his opinion on what they have heard from Goliath. And when we see here in chapter 17, we'll pick up our text in verse 31, David gets brought into this closed-door meeting with King Saul. Saul already knew who David was. He was uh, Saul's armor-bearer, already had a relationship with him, already knew who it was. But David knew that his God was bigger than any giant on the battlefield and knew that God was greater and God could do exceedingly abundantly above what they believed. The people had lost faith in God who had rescued them just a short time before, but they needed that reminder. And we've seen that there will always be people who should step up who don't. Always be people who should step up. Maybe that's, you say, well, pastor, that, uh, that can be spiritual, but that could also be life. Uh, whether that's at your job or one of your neighbors or someone in your family, uh, maybe even in church. But we all have this thing that we battle called fear. Fear. And it creeps in unawares. And sometimes we just have to fight back against what we know to be false. And we have to make sure that our fear stays in check. I want to give you a, a quote that's in your handout tonight and uh, be on the screen to follow along. It's fairly lengthy, but I, I like the quote and I like the, the truth that it conveys. It says this, Paul Tripp said, Fear can overwhelm your senses. It can distort your thinking. It can kidnap your desires. It can capture your meditation so that you spend more time worrying about what could be than considering the God who is. Fear can cause you to make bad decisions in the short term and fail to make good decisions in the long run. Fear can cause you to forget what you know and lose sight of who you are. Fear can make you wish for control you'll never have. It can cause you to distrust people you have reason to trust. It can cause you to be demanding rather than serving. It can cause you to run when you should stay and to stay when you really should run. Fear can make God look small and your circumstance look large. Fear can make you seek from people what you will only get from the Lord. Fear can be the soil of your deepest questions and your deepest doubts. Your heart was wired to fear because you were designed for life shaped by fear of God. But horizontal fear cannot be allowed to rule your heart because if it does, it will destroy you and your ministry. If fear rules your heart, if you allow it to rule your heart, it will destroy both you and your ministry. So what do we see David say here? And if you're taking notes, you can write down number one in verse 31 and 32, the confidence that he exudes, the confidence. It says in verse 31 of our text, and when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Somehow, uh, the words that David had shared back in verse 26 with the men make their way to Saul's tent. He's summoned and uh, he hears what he has said and he summons for him. And I'm sure that David was not afraid of Saul in this meeting. They already had uh, a relationship. They already knew one another, were close to one another. And if David wasn't afraid of a 10-foot warrior, he wasn't going to be afraid of a cowardly king. 
And so when he gets into, he speaks to him two statements, gets into his presence, he says, don't be afraid and I'll go. Don't be afraid, I'll go. It reminds me of Proverbs 29 verse 25 where uh, the, the uh, wise King Solomon said, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you really think about it, David is lovingly rebuking Saul because everybody knew Saul should have been the one out on the battlefield facing Goliath. It had been 40 days. Nobody had gotten any closer to any kind of resolve, any kind of solution here. But David was focused on God and not the giant. That made all the difference in the world. And that's why he said, hey, don't let anybody's heart fail, verse 32, because of him. Because of him. Hey, don't look at the giant. Let's look at our God. And let's focus on the right thing. And it reminds me of this statement. And here it is. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. You will never face a storm in your life that deserves a fearful response. You will never face a storm in your life that deserves a fearful response. There is no thing, uh, nothing that you and I will face where fear should grip our heart and control our decision making. Uh, We have a life filled of faith. Uh, David knew that Saul was his superior and Saul was afraid and rightly so. He had a giant. All of this stuff was right in front of him. David knew the men were afraid. Didn't have to be. But David knew his God. And David believed and trusted that God was getting ready to do something. See, it wasn't an accident that David showed up when he did. It wasn't an accident that David arrived just in the nick of time. And the storms that we face don't happen by accident, and we don't arrive in those storms by accident. God places us exactly, we looked at last week, God places us exactly where he wants us to be when he wants us to arrive there. God does that. But are you and I confident that God is getting ready to move in the middle of that storm? Are we confident that God is getting ready to do something? David submits himself to Saul's authority here. He says, thy servant will go. He was telling Saul, hey, you don't have to worry. I'm going to step up. Imagine Saul as the king, as the warrior king, bigger than everybody, badder than everybody, and he gets one-upped by a teenager. He gets one-upped by a teenager. Somebody, one teenage guy volunteers and says, hey, if you're not going to go, I will. Now think about this truth tonight. Wouldn't it be awesome if some seasoned believers would say, hey, I'm not going to let a teenager with greater faith stand in the place where I should stand. Hey, I'm not going to let a teenager, a younger person, have greater faith than I do. Because if we're honest, we've seen things that a lot of people haven't, adults. We've lived some life that our young people have not lived, adults. And it should be us leading the way as an example for our young people to follow. It's not an accident that our teens are in the room tonight. We should be the ones, adults, leading the way. We should be the ones who have faith-filled lives. We should be the ones who are not being driven and making decisions by fear. Because they're watching us. And if we don't realize that, we're missing it. If we don't realize and understand that our young people are watching us, they're looking at our lives as examples of faith. David looked at King Saul and did not see a great example of faith. He saw a great example of fear. And David said, hey, don't be afraid. Don't let anybody be afraid 
because I, your servant Saul, I'll go out and I will face Goliath. Wouldn't it be awesome if our young people had a great example of faith that they could say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be like that. When I grow up, I want my faith to look like that. When I get older, when I have a family, I want my family to look like that. We see the confidence that David had. And then number two, we see the criticism that he faced. Verse 33, Saul had it made. Finally, somebody steps up. Forty days later, somebody volunteers. And what does Saul do? You can't go. Somebody volunteers to go in Saul's place. And what does he do? He refuses. You're not old enough. You're not strong enough. You're not big enough. You're not wise enough. You're not uh, talented enough. You're not trained enough. You're not qualified. You're not skilled. But David had something that Goliath didn't. He had God. Hey, when you go to work tomorrow around unbelievers, you have something that they don't. You have God. When you go to school tomorrow, uh, probably not tomorrow, uh, but when you go to school next year, uh, when you go to school, you have something that unbelievers don't have. You have God. We have something living and breathing inside of us that the lost world knows nothing about. And yet we walk around defeated like the lost world does. It's time for us to act like we are who we say we are and be the church. The living, breathing representation of Jesus Christ in the world today. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Nothing. A great reminder of when God has spoken to someone and kind of fanned their flame that we should be throwing gas on the fire, not throwing water on the fire. We ought to be encouraging someone to walk with the Lord, spend time with Him. Thomas Watson said, our work is great. Our time short and our master urgent. Our work is great, our time short, and our master urgent. Why did Saul believe that David wasn't able? Because he got caught looking at the opposition. He got caught looking at the opposition. I have uh, John and Andrew come up and help me just for a second. Uh, I want to ask you tonight, are you looking at God or are you looking at the giant? Are you looking at God or looking at the giant? For illustration's sake, I'll have uh, John, you stand right here, and I'm going to have Andrew, you stand over there near the TV. And uh, you guys are going to trade places in just a minute. But uh, for illustration's sake, we'll let uh, Brother John be the giant, and we'll let Andrew be God. All right? It's just illustration, folks, okay? Uh, But just for tonight, all right? Now, this is my life, and this is our life, all right, as Christians. God is over there, and in the middle is my giant, my obstacle, my storm, my trial, my hardship, my circumstances, whatever it is. And if I'm not careful, when I go to look at God, if I'm looking through the eyes of flesh and not spirit-filled, faith-filled eyes, I'll see the giant, and the giant is the obstacle in the way, and I can't see God. God is over there saying, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. There we go. He's learning. Interns. Uh, Hey, look at me over there. All right. Hey, look at me. All right, there he is. And my giant is standing in the way. And when I'm trying to get a focus on God, there's a giant in the way. God is over there. I have allowed my physical eyes to focus on the giant, and I can't see God. Now you guys trade places. But here's what happens. When I look through eyes of faith and I say, God, 
man, there's a storm, and he steps in the middle and says, hey, just focus on me. Just focus on me. Now, the giant is back there, and he's trying to get my attention. But I can no longer see and focus because now I'm looking at God. My eyes are not drawn to the giant anymore because God has stepped in the middle and said, hey, if you'll just focus on me, you won't see the giant. If you'll focus on me, now switch back. When it was before, hey, I couldn't see God because I'm focused. I'm so focused on the bill that has to get paid. And I'm so focused on uh, that a family member that's against me. And I'm so focused on that boss that doesn't like me. And I'm so focused on the giant and the problem and the doctor's appointment and the child that's walked away. And I'm focused on my neighbor who won't come to Christ. And all these people, this guy at the gas station that threw my track in the trash can in front of me. And I'm focused on the giant. And God's back here saying, hey, look at me. Look at me. Focus on me. Don't make the giant the focus. But when I look at him, when I have God in the center, and the giant is behind the Lord, and God says, hey, just keep being faithful. Just keep doing what I hate. You're not responsible for that response. I don't hold you accountable for how they respond to that track and your witness. I just want you to be faithful giving the seed. I don't want you to be focused on the giant. I want you to be focused on me because when you're focused on me, I lose focus on the giant. When I focus on God, I lose focus on the giant. And thank you guys, you can be seated. Which one has your undivided attention tonight? Are you focused on the giant, that obstacle? Are you focused on the opposition? Or are you focused on God? Are you focused on the one who is greater than the obstacle? Uh, Max Licato said, focus on giants and you stumble. Focused on God and giants tumble. Isaiah 26.3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. See, when I focus on the Lord, there is no longer any opposition in my life because I'm focused on him. Strange things happen when I focus on God. Just ask Peter when he walked on the water. He was focused on Jesus and what happened? Did something that nobody else in the boat was going to do that night. Something that no one else other than Jesus has ever said that they could do. But what happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus? The Bible says he saw the wind boisterous. Saw all the waves crashing around him. What happened? He began to sink. Why? Because he lost focus. And church, we've got to stay focused. We've got to stay focused on our Savior and on our King. See, I might feel it, but I'm not focused on it. Now, that storm may come against me, but that doesn't mean that I have to focus on the storm. I have a Savior that I'm supposed to focus on. And David said, it doesn't matter what the storm looks like. It doesn't matter how big that giant is. I have a God in heaven who's a lot bigger than that giant is. And I'm going to trust him to go out on the battlefield. Saul didn't like it. Hey, I don't like these odds, David. You're not, you're not trained. You're not ready. Uh, this guy has been eating people your size since he was a little kid. And yet Saul knew what others had already told him. Remember David's testimony in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 18? Remember when Saul was stressed out and had that evil spirit churning in his life and they said that they brought, they found a young man who could play. What was the testimony of that young man who could play the harp so sweet and uh, calm his nerves? Psalm, uh, or 1 Samuel 16 verse 18 said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing a mighty valiant man, a man of war and prudent in manners and a comely person and 
the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. What could Saul say about the Lord's presence in his life? The Lord was not with Saul. Saul knew that God was with David. And Satan couldn't, or Saul, excuse me, couldn't push David aside because nobody else was disqualified. David was the man. And great faith always has a story that defies logic. It didn't make sense to send David. He's a teenager. He's not even old enough to be here, to be on the battlefield, to be in the army. And yet, David was the one going out. We see the confidence. We see the criticism. Number three, we see the credentials. Saul says, David, you're not qualified. You're just a little kid compared to the giant. And David starts sharing his resume over and over. Hey, I'm a shepherd. Now, you would think that David, uh, hey, give me some of your uh, qualifications, David. Well, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. And I'm, I'm a, uh, I, I work out every day. I crossfit every single day. You know, I, I'm, I'm, this is what I do. What do you do for a living, David? I sit and I watch. Not very motivating. I sit and I watch sheep. But one day while I was watching sheep, a lion and a bear came out. Let me believe two different instances. A lion comes up and I killed with my bare hands, killed a lion. I, another occasion, I kill with my bare hands, a bear. Now, that would rise the resume to the top. This guy had supernatural ability, almost like God was with him, ironically. And so all of a sudden, David is now more valuable than he was before. And isn't it ironic when David is keeping his father's sheep that he is attacked? He said, while he kept his father's sheep, the lion, while he kept his father's sheep, the bear. And isn't it ironic to us that Satan doesn't attack us when we're sitting still? He attacks us when we're busy. He attacks us when we're active. He tries to draw our attention away from what we're currently doing. Tries to get us to look away from the battlefield while I'm trying to serve and while I'm trying to be busy and while I'm trying to be vigilant. Oh, what's that over there? And Satan tries to draw my attention away while we're busy. While we're busy. And that's where the fight is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, taking you the whole armor of God, you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. Robert Murray McShane said, I know well that when Christ is nearest, Satan also is busiest. When Christ is nearest, Satan also is busiest. But even though David was the one who physically fought the lion and the bear, he knew exactly where the strength came from. Look at verse 37. He said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Hey, I, I know it was not my ability. It wasn't my training that made the difference. It was God. The Lord is the one who delivered me, Saul. How would our lives be changed if we actually believed that God was going to come through like he says in his word he's going to come through? How would our life be changed? What would our testimony be like if we actually believed what God's word said about who we say we believe? We see that Jonathan believed him. Chapter 14, 1 Samuel, verse 6. And Jonathan said, The young men that bear his armor, come, let us go over the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. God can do anything he wants to. 
Remember David in uh, chapter 18 and verse 14, what was his testimony? Then David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. That was his testimony. The Lord had moved in David's life so frequently that this giant was nothing. was nothing. It was the strength of David's God, not the strength of the giant, that was the focus. And Saul couldn't claim the credit if he was sitting in the tent cowering. This was going to be a victory that only God could give. Imagine if Saul would have been the one who had meandered out. The people never would have heard the end of it. Saul's head would have been so big, he would have had to turn sideways to walk through a doorway. If Saul would have been out, the one out on the battlefield, his pride would have... But God wouldn't allow him to go out. David had the ability to do the unthinkable directly from God. And what could God do with our lives if we would push aside our fear and step forward in faith and say, God, hey, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. I don't know what's ahead, and I don't know what, what giant I might face, but I know that you're trustworthy, God, and I, I'm willing to take a chance and trust you to do the unthinkable. Lastly, we see the challenge mentioned in verse 38. It says, And Saul armed David with his armor. Now, all of a sudden, he gives his blessing, but there's a catch. There's always a catch, isn't there? Hey, I, hey, I want you to go out, but before you do, I want to give you something, David. And he sends him out tries to send him out with his personal armor. Now, what was this showing? Someone will always try to weigh us down with what they think will work for us. Hey, I want you to try this because this helped me. It's not made for you. What's made for someone else might not be made for you. And David finds this out. It says he put his armor, his helmet, his coat of mail, his inner garment. He girded his sword. All of this stuff that David was not used to. Why did Saul do that? Because Saul was going to do anything he could to say that he helped. Say, hey, if David goes out, man, the perfect balance of that helmet positioned him so well to where he could throw. The no, Saul was trying to do everything he could to put his stamp on it. Hey, I helped some way. David, you need this stuff to be able to fight the enemy. If you take this, it'll help you. And remember, God doesn't work that way. We don't fight the same way the world fights. See, the world fights with the flesh, and we fight with the spirit. Not the same artillery, not the same ammunition. Remember when the world has said, hey, I'm going to criticize them, and they're going to criticize me back. And we don't respond in anger, we respond with peace. That's foreign to them. Oh, you know, when, when somebody calls me a name, I'm going to do the exact same thing, because that's what they deserve. We don't fight the same way, y'all. We fight with different weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. They're not the same that the world fights with. But what does that say? When we fight the exact same way, it makes us just like those people who are fighting in the flesh. We're no different. Luke 6, 31, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank of you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what well, thank you. For sinners also do even the same. If we act just like the world, there's no difference in us in the world. If we treat the world just like they treat us, there's no difference in us in the world. 
1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, and faith, and purity. James 1.19. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. David didn't need the armor if he had God. David didn't need anything else as long as God was on his side. And neither do we. Neither do we. Hey, if we have God on our side, what are we worried about? If we have God on our side, what are we preparing ourselves for? We need to simply trust him and allow him. Remember, it's not David's battle. The battle is the Lord's all along. Saul was in essence, remember, he didn't even realize what's going on. We know the end of the story. We know that David would already been anointed to be the next king. This is Saul's replacement. And Saul unknowingly is passing the torch to David. He's sending him out as his representative, preparing him for that battle. But before that happened, David says something in closing that we already know. He said, I can't take this armor because it hasn't been tested. It hasn't been proved. If you can't test something first, you probably shouldn't carry it in into battle. I'm going to take this M16. I haven't shot it yet, but I'm, I'm sure it'll work. No, no. If you haven't tested it, you shouldn't be carrying it. And David said, I, I can't take this. He said, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And I can't wear these, Saul. I've not tested these out. I've never fought with these before. I'm not used to this. This is going to be cumbersome. And he lays it all aside. This was nothing short of battling the expectations of other people. Hey, these expectations, i got to put them off. I, I, I just got to go out and fight with the Lord's doing. I've got to go out and I've got to fight in his spirit, his ability, not in Saul's armor. I've got to go out in his authority. Nothing wrong with hearing no or saying no, thank you. But David heads out in the battle with nothing but faith, and that's all that we need. We need faith. Not fear, but faith. See, there will always be people who step up that don't. Their great faith always has a great story that, that defies logic. Great faith always has a story that defies logic. Someone will always try to weigh us down with something they think will work for us. But if you can't test something first, you shouldn't carry it into battle. David is getting ready to go in the battle that would define the rest of his life. He didn't realize it. But God was preparing him for something greater. And tonight, maybe God is preparing you through the battle that you're facing right now for something greater. You might not even realize it. But maybe God is preparing you. Would you take a step of faith rather than a step of fear? Or sitting in your tent cowering while God is trying to work through you and fight a battle for you? Would you simply respond in faith instead of fear? Father, thank you so much for your word. And and thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to look to your word and, Lord, see this story of faith over fear. Lord, thank you so much for how you have blessed. Lord, thank you for using this story to challenge us. Lord, thank you so much for the promise of your word that when we focus on you, Lord, the storm, the giant becomes out of focus. Lord, when we focus on the giant, you are out of focus. Lord, I ask that you please help us to focus correctly. Help us to focus on you instead of the storm, instead of the giant, instead of the hardship or circumstances troubling us. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Lord, we love you so much and thank you for loving us.
Please bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're getting ready to uh, give you a couple of